Check, 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 check. We're in. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, welcome to the show. Today we've got a guest on. We've got Luke Neeland. And I met Luke. I've seen him around for a while, but I met him. We ended up... Let me tell you a story. This is what happened. So I went to Adventure Club, which is like an EDM dance hall rager downtown at the Tabernacle. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty socially awkward and anxious and I've taken upon myself to try and move through that anxiety and actually let myself participate and be active around people again, which is, it's a new behavior for me, um, that used to be really natural, but I've, I've spent so much time guys have spent so much time alone. (laughs) It's become comfortable. Uh, so anyway, I, I ended up going to the show and, um, I ended up at the top floor overlooking the balcony of the entire set and uh, looked to my right and Luke is sitting next to me and uh, he's wearing a Bruce Lee shirt and I was just like dude that's what's up man and like we didn't say much we just kind of like looked at each other nodded our heads and smiled and just kept watching the show and um, the next day I was at work and I saw on Facebook because we became Facebook friends after that I saw on Facebook that he posted up his favorite album no 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 it wasn't his favorite album it was his first album he ever purchased uh, or first album he ever got was uh, Dookie by by Green Day and I was like holy shit dude bruh that was the first album I ever got and he was like yeah bruh and I was like bruh and uh we decided to bro, so I uh, ended up uh, hitting him up and asking. You know, I wanted to know, I wanted to know a bit about his story, so I ended up hitting him up and asking him to come on the show. And I met him at a church, and uh, we sat down and we had a conversation, and we talked all about all sorts of stuff: fighting, addiction, recovery, all the good stuff. We're about to drop in on it now, but before I do, uh, if anyone else is interested in telling their story or being on the show or has any questions or comments, ideas, feedback, anything at all, please shoot me an email at adamaz87 at gmail.com and we'll, uh, yeah, the intro music's coming in now, so I think we're going to just go ahead and drop in on the episode. I appreciate your time, I appreciate your patience with my, my monologue here at the beginning, and I appreciate your appreciation of itself. This is... Inside the Mind's Eye with Luke Neeland. The inspiration wanted to hit you up was when you posted the other day on Facebook, you posted about Dookie being your first album that you ever bought. Yeah. It was also my first album I ever bought. Yeah. Can you, can you walk, can you walk us through that? Like what made you decide to do the Green Day album? Um, well, I kind of put a little bit of hair on that story. I didn't buy it because I was in second grade, so I had no money. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, my dad is still today one of my best friends and uh, we went to the music store and that was that that album was hot at the time um, just came out and uh, you know we, we checked it out and he was like do you want this and I was like yeah sure and he, he bought it for me and I just remember it you know there's very few albums you find like this in general but I remember that one was one that you could play from from beginning to end including the bonus track and uh, every song was good oh yeah you know I was in first grade I think when it came out what year were you born I was born 88 I was born 87 okay yeah well, I was so that in, makes sense yeah and I was in Tulsa and was, Tulsa Oklahoma is like yeah. years for some reason it's like have you ever seen Napoleon Dynamite yeah it's like, you know, in their high school. That, that, that kind of landscape. That, that kinda... landscape, and also the trends are always a few years behind and stuff. Right. Yeah, hey, I remember getting that album and singing um, Basket Case on the bus like, oh, every yeah. day. Yeah, Longview. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I Come Around, that's the track that, that I posted. All the way across town. 
Yeah. Let me, well, let me ask you this first. How do you feel about anonymity? Well, you know, I actually, because I had a previous sponsor, and it's okay for me to say that I have a sponsor, it's okay for me to say that I ha I'm in recovery. Um, but, you know, I can't, you know, if I'm going to give my full name, I'm not going to say a particular fellowship. You know, it's level of press, radio, and films, you know. And I, I had, I actually had a, a sponsor grill me on that one time um, because I, I made a post with good intention, you know. I, 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 uh, I took a, a, a picture of uh, something from, from our literature and I posted it on social media and, you know, I wanted to inspire, you know, it touched me, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, hey, listen, he's like, I don't mean to come down on you, but, uh, that's great that you know you found some inspiration and whatnot, but I'm gonna have to ask you to take that down. You know, look up the 11th tradition. Look up the extensions they've made to that as far as social media goes. Of course, social media wasn't around when they first came up with the traditions, but let's say, you know, um, our primary purpose is to carry the message to the, you know, to somebody who's still suffering. So if you post something like that and then you go and get high, somebody that has never been to that fellowship is going to say, well, that doesn't work because Luke posted about it and then he went and got high. Absolutely. And I never thought about it like that, you know, and that's kind of how my disease is, is kind of, uh, it's rooted in being selfish and self-centered. I don't think about things unless they pertain to me. Right, yeah. I mean, it's the human, it's the solliptic experience of human is like we can't really, it takes effort to see beyond ourselves. Yeah. Um, so I'm sitting here with Luke Neeland, mm -hmm. and we both know each other from being in recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I used to be a heroin addict, junkie, um, did a lot of dope, a lot of drugs, a lot of substances. Uh, and I ran into you at the concert the other day, and you were wearing the Bruce Lee shirt. Yeah. And I was like, instantly, I was like, I already know this dude's the man <laughs> because everything like for me at least this last year of sobriety this is I'm on my this is my six year sober it has been the toughest like of my life ever of just being alive it's been difficult and for me Bruce Lee has been I, I didn't know who he was or what he represented other than what I was shown in the form of his martial arts on film mm -hmm. But he had a whole philosophical way of, of living. He was a philosopher, for yeah. sure. For sure. And I think that there is so much philosophy in martial arts. There's a lot of philosophy in sports, you know. I've been involved in sports all my life. I got uh, introduced to a sport that's also rooted in martial arts later in my life. Um, but, yeah, definitely. Bruce Lee was one of those guys that said things that can pertain to anybody and and he was a deep thinker that's what's sure. so it's so cool is like when you read some of the stuff it's mystical in the sense that it, it it changes shape depending on how you're feeling or where you're at like it could sure. apply to different things mm -hmm. uh we were talking on the phone earlier and you'd mentioned that you used to fight do jujitsu mm -hmm. uh, and then there was a certain time in your addiction where you were you mentioned that it was kind of your higher power but it was it wasn't sufficient enough because you always end up doing dope yeah so really it was my higher power my whole uh experience um kind of dipping my toe in recovery um until i kind of fully conceded to both my truth you know what i suffer from and uh and the practical program of action necessary in order to recover you know um, what do you what, what do you think it is that you suffer from because well, I've, I didn't I didn't say this to you earlier, but like a lot of my listeners have no idea about what it means to be an alcoholic or a drug addict, right? Or to do dope every day. Yep. They're they're kind of like learning as they're listening. Absolutely. I think I suffer from at the very core a spiritual malady. I'm spiritually disconnected, and uh, because of that, because I'm disconnected with, um, and I believe whatever you want to call it, whatever your conception or idea of it is. I believe that there's an all-pervasive energy or power that kind of permeates through uh, the universe, our world, and, and the people in it. I think uh, that's my belief. I believe that we all are capable of, of uh, tapping into this power through taking certain necessary action. Um, but I believe that, 
And this so pe people can take tap into the power by taking action. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's um, I've been taught, and it, it's been my experience as well that faith without works is dead. So for me, you know, simply for me going to meetings or uh, say I didn't go this route, say I just went to church on Sunday, um, but I didn't practice these principles in all my affairs. I didn't demonstrate these principles in my respective home, occupation, whatever my other affairs are, then I, I'm not going to get the results promised. I'm not going to have that spiritual connection and therefore I'm uh, bring your band name up. I'm going to, I'm going to be a, a self well run riot. I'm going to get the things that it talks about me receiving and that I've received um, my so what, whole life by doing things my way. So, what do you think makes it makes you different than a normal person who's generally a lot a lot of people? We are kind of like we have blinders on where we kind of mm -hmm. are trying to go after what we want in life. Mm -hmm. What is it for you that that felt felt like you had to use, I mean, the needle, like, like me. Well, this is where my views may differ from some in recovery. I believe that the spiritual malady is a human condition. I believe that, that every human in some form is, is a little bit spiritually maladjusted. I don't think anybody comes out of the womb feeling instantly connected or just having a, a natural, um, organic connection with their creator. Um, or, or this energy, whatever, you, whatever your conception of it is. Um, I believe um, that along with that spiritual malady, for whatever reason, I'm bodily and mentally different, um, which means that I obsess about changing the way that I feel, um, and, and I've, I'm geared towards doing that chemically. Um, and, and once I do that, once I give in to that obsession, um, my body reacts differently to it as well. Like some people, they may take, take mind-altering substances or do other um, things that are kind of questionable to their own morals, um, but they have a stopping point. They say, okay, I've done that enough. That feels good or, or that doesn't feel so good. That kind of rubs my conscience the wrong way, so now I'm going to stop or moderate. I don't have that, that off switch. You know, from what I understand, and, and I've even got medical studies too, that I'm bodily and mentally different, like on a phys physiological level, but I think at the very base of that is a spiritual malady. That's what drives me, and I believe that once, and it's been my experience too, once I take the action required to develop this, this spiritual connection, I straighten out mentally and physically. Those things just kind of take care of themselves. I get spiritually connected. It frees me of that mental obsession to get high, and then I never set off that physical allergy because I have no need to. I've been placed in a position of neutrality. The obsession's no longer there because uh, we've alleviated the very base of it. You know, I've, I've become spiritually connected. And you've been, you've been sober now for over a year, year and a half, almost two years? Uh, yesterday was 14 months. 14 months. How long into your recovery did you start to feel like you were you had a spiritual connection? Because my biggest trouble with doing recovery for me was I never I didn't know, like I didn't know what a higher power was. I didn't. People would say you need to have a connection or you need to be spiritual, and I was like I don't know. Like, how? Do, when did you start feeling like something was working? Well, I'd say the first thing, you know. My literature talks about this spiritual experience. It talks about mining a limitless load, meaning that it's, it's really got no, no, no ceiling on it. It's, it's got room for limitless expansion. And I believe it's, you know, by taking the correct action, I'm, I'm constantly fostering it. But I guess the biggest thing and the whole reason that I was motivated or willing to begin this path, honestly and thoroughly to the best of my ability, is uh, I wanted to stop obsessing about doing the very thing that was killing me and destroying everything that, that I loved in my life. And so the first thing that I noticed is around like the two month mark is I, I always see these things in hindsight, but like a, a week had gone by and I looked back and I said, man, I haven't, I haven't thought about getting high once in the last week. And that's just, that doesn't, 
I don't do that on my own. You know, that's not, I can't just make that happen. I can't just self-will for that to happen. I mean, literally, you know, in active addiction, I wake up, my eyes hit the ceiling, and within seconds, I'm immediately, my, my brain is racing uncontrollably. I'm thinking about what I have to do, where I have to, to get to. What, um, it, Your body starts feeling sick. Exactly. Everything. Yeah, yeah the physical symptoms. Um, I, I'm a slave to it. I'm driven by it. And, and now I'm realizing that after two months of, of following some very simple, clear-cut direction, I, I haven't a week's gone by, I haven't thought once about getting high. And I'm Which is just important to point out is your story similar to mine was when I finally was done, this is the tricky part, is like I, I got the I got the drugs and alcohol out of my system, but then it was like day six and seven, the mental obsession was still full force. It started happening. I wanted to lie to my parents to get money to go use again when I knew I thought I was done. And it was it was my, I made a decision to go to a meeting mm -hmm. and then I got a sponsor mm -hmm. and then I literally did not stop doing that. Mm -hmm. It was like, is that what you mean when you say you started taking action? Like what was it for you when early on in the beginning? What was, what was the moment that made you decide like I'm putting the stuff down now? Well, you know what, man, I, um, so once again, it's like I said, <laughs> It's like I say I'm going to like abide by the anonymity and I'm not going to call anything by, out by name, but I can't help but refer to uh, my literature because it, it tells my story. It's, it's, it's got all the context that I need and I'm a big believer in it. But it talks about a point of two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, uh, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation, and the other one is to accept spiritual help. And I... Uh, consciously chose door number one the last year run <laughs> the last yeah. year run I went on like I was doing I just wasn't dying quick enough I had thrown everything uh, all my dreams everything worthwhile in life had gone by the by the wayside and I was just this is my life this is how it's gonna end uh, sooner or later uh, I can't stop and this is what I'm gonna be doing and the last year run I was on I was hospitalized six times I was fired from three jobs and I was arrested twice. And they talk about this being a progressive illness. Up to this point, I'd always been able to, you know, keep a job. Um, I would have all sorts of other unmanageability that might be a breaking point for some people. But I, in my mind, I could keep it together. I could get by. And this last year, there was just no keeping it together. I mean, there was no. Um, it was just an absolute train wreck. And so for whatever reason, I, at the end of that run, I, I violated probation. I pissed dirty. Um, and, I, and I was in jail for two weeks. And uh, during that time, um, you know, my, my dad had done some research and got some resources and um, found a, a recovery residence for me to go to. And, and I went there and, and I said to myself, man, you know, not only have I tried to control and manage uh, my use on my own willpower, but I've also tried to design my own recovery. I've had periods of dry time where um, I'm going to try to rewrite a program that's been working for over 80 years and I'm going <laughs> to do things my way because, because I'm so smart and because like you might have to do everything required honestly and thoroughly, but like I can, I'm smart enough to figure out a shortcut or like I know a better way. I know what works for me. Can you, you know? Can you can you tell me a, cu a couple like how you did that a couple times? Like how would how would rewire work working your own program look well, like? Well, just uh, I call it like a la carte or buffet. You know, just choosing you know what's comfortable. Like I can do this, this, and this, but this, you know. Um, I asked what, because there's a lot of time. I mean, I've had experiences with sponsors that I ended up in a cult, like a AA. 12-step cult at this place called Complete Abandon. Yeah, and there were as soon as you said cult, I already knew what you were talking about. Have you ever about. been there? No, but I've, I've heard all the horror stories. Yeah, yeah. and it's and it also it's like I also learned through this process, it's like, it's tricky. Sponsorship itself, it's like I don't know, sometimes I feel like I'm being led in a way that, sometimes I don't feel understood. 
Mm -hmm. and, it, and for me, the, it's important to have a, a few people to talk to so I can, I, that's what I want to ask because I get confused about like, I don't, sometimes I don't know if I'm working my own program or the program mm -hmm. or how can you tell when you, when you felt like you were working your own program? Like you were going to just meetings and not doing steps or? Um, that's one thing. I was trying to rely too much on the fellowship and, you know, literature talks about, you know, uh, I got a place dependence upon God. I had a dependence upon other people. I'm beyond human aid. So that's one thing. Um, I would also just try to shortcut things that were uncomfortable. You know, like my, my mindset, obviously, you know, being a, being a heroin junkie, mine, mine says if it doesn't feel good, don't do it. And that's not necessarily how life is, you know, is like we grow through, you know, courage is not the absence of fear, but it, it's, uh, you know, the ability to walk through it. And, um, and that requires faith. That requires putting your trust in, in something. Um, Which is a tall order for someone like, well, when I first came in, I didn't know mm -hmm. any of these feelings. Yeah. I didn't know what it felt like to walk through fear. No. I didn't either. I don't think any of us did, you know. It says we're driven by fear. I'm driven by fear. I'm constantly reacting to fear rather than, you know, taking a affirmative action. Um, and, and, I'm, and at the same time, I'm, constant, I'm driven by fear. I'm, I'm, I'm constantly reacting to fear, but I'm also uh, very egotistical and pompous and, and think that my plans and ideas are the best ones when... The record clearly shows that, um, you know, my best thinking got me got me a seat <laughs> in, uh, in in institutions and uh, correctional facilities <laughs> and hospitals and uh, the unemployment line. I mean, you name it. You know. So you're so you're a weekend. You realize you haven't had a thought to use, and in that week you were going to meetings on the reg. Did you have a sponsor at that point? Um, at which point are you, you get out of jail your dad gets you out of jail oh no i mean as soon as house. he got me out he took me he took me straight there and this was a long-term residential facility okay um but unlike a lot of places um it was completely 12-step based it's completely 12-step based um rather than being like most places are you know they take insurance it's a medical facility they have doctors they have therapists blah blah, blah. i'm not knocking it Oh, no. You know, like they're, you know, I think that dual diagnosis is a real thing. That's just not me, though. And it's not something that I, I suffer from. You know, I, I like I said, it's, it's my experience lines up with uh, what the literature tells me. And, and that's that I suffer from a spiritual disease, first and foremost. And when I recover from that, when I get connected spiritually, uh, the, the mental and physical side just kind of works itself out. And that's part of the faith. You know, I wasn't willing to believe that. I wasn't willing to believe that you're prescribing me a spiritual solution for sticking a needle in my arm. You've got to be out of your mind. Well, I'm only going to try that if all of my resources have failed. I'm going to try everything but that until I, I've, I've got my back against the wall completely. I'm willing to try anything. So, so what was it then in early recovery when you started feeling that connection? Like, did something happen or was... It's not like a white light burning bush moment, no. Um, like I said, the biggest thing, the, initially the biggest thing, the, the reason why I, I gave this thing a, a shot and, and, and gave it an honest, thorough try uh, was because I wanted the obsession to be relieved, you know? I, now, I didn't understand then that simply not putting a needle in my arm wasn't going to alleviate all my problems. Um, but I thought that they did, and I was willing to, if you had told me, like, by doing this process honestly and thoroughly, um, the best we got for you is you're going to stop sticking a needle in your arm. I would have said, sign me up. Yeah, that's I fine. was just done. I yeah, was just, just at that true surrender point. Yeah, yeah. But then other things began to happen. Um, you know, I went through with the amends process, and I actually, that's another way of walking through fear with faith, is yeah. I was able to approach these people. Um, some of them I did really dirty. I acted out very selfishly and fearfully and did things that today it's, it's, it's like, wow, that's not even the same per I, you know, that was almost like a alter ego. That was almost like a, you know, Tyler Durden type situation. I, I can't believe that even happened. And I was able to approach those people, 
um, with my head held high and um, and so my personal relationships started mending. My emotional nature became more even keel and continues to. You know, it, and it tells me all these things. And I'm not quite buying into it yet until I'm actually experiencing it. Right, right, right. Um, now, the one thing I could do was I just saw, I kept see, seeing people pick up years. Yeah. And they were smiling. Yeah. So I knew it was possible. Sure. Um, and that's, you know, for me, my concept of God spoke through other people. Yeah. It's like when I see people and they share their experience, and so I know, I know that the real recognize real, right? If somebody's just making up a story, if they're trying to sell you on something, you know if they haven't really been to the bluff. You know if they haven't really seen the things that you've seen. But you know that they did, and you see that they're... They're in a different spot, not just externally, but internally. They're inwardly reorganized. You say, okay, well, that, I mean, if he's there, maybe, just maybe, if I do what he did, I'll get what he's got. And that was kind of my bridge of reason that I was able to cross over to that desired shore of faith. And it was like I saw people that carried that message to me, and they were happy to. They weren't getting paid to, but they were excited about this. You know, one of my one of my best friends that helped carry it to me. He's the he's the manager at the place where where I started this journey. He says, "Man, you're going to get excited about recovery." And I said, "Bro, you got to be out of your mind. What are yeah. you talking about? Like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, I agree that I need to do that. I'm never going to be excited about it. It's never going to be exciting. It's always going to be a drag going to these meetings and." Uh, that was my biggest fear. It was like, I'm just going to end up in a meeting every freaking day just talking about the same stuff every day. Sure. I didn't realize that what I'd learned in the process of recovery was was a way of living that applied everywhere I went. Yeah. Because the principles become, you just kind of adhere to them. They become the part of your nature. Sure. And then like you were saying the connection is like, for me, I didn't, I said I don't know the whole way through the steps. I was like, I'm just sick like you. I'm I'm done doping all the time. I'm done being sick. I'm done causing harm to my friends and family. It was just, I was done. And so the one thing I'd never done was all the steps. Mm -hmm. And I remember it was like, um, it was a few weeks in, maybe a month in. And I, and I, you know, I was came out of the cloud, you know, after about 40 days off of the, off of the heroin, it was like, you know, my mood finally started stabilizing. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to sleep for a long time for that first month. Like I couldn't sleep well at all. Mm -mm. And then like, uh, full disclosure, like the sex drive was like non-existent, like, sure. And so I didn't even really know what it was like to even be in my body or, or like be not on dope. Mm -hmm. And so at around the 40, 50 day mark, it was like, all of a sudden I was like, I want to sponsor somebody. Yeah. Like I got a reason to finish the steps. It was like, I know I'm going to do it because I've never done it. And everyone seems, it seems to be working for everyone else. Yeah. And then it was like, I want to, I want to be a leader too, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of the, that, that allowed me to move through it because I didn't know God. I didn't know spirituality. I had no connection. Sure. Matter of fact, I didn't even, you know how you were talking about how you, we don't really, um, you know, our brain is telling us to use dope and it was a week and you're like, I didn't get that thought. Yeah. Like, I don't think we really decide our thoughts. I think they're just happening. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's what it talks about is like through that spiritual experience, it produces a psychic change, you know? And, uh, do you remember, do you remember when that happened for you? Well, yeah. I mean the, the first, like I said, once again, I, I'm always going to refer back to this as, as the, the big pivotal moment because Let's face it, like I stay in recovery be, because my life's awesome. Because I, you know, I'm, I can say with 100%, you know, listeners may think that I'm a liar and I would have said the same thing about me um, 14 months ago um, if I heard this, but I'm grateful to be a heroin addict. I stay in recovery because my life is awesome, because it continues to get better. And I, I'm, I'm chasing, uh, I'm chasing this spiritual expansion today rather than running away from my past life. Like I'm, I firmly believe that if I continue to, to seek this power greater than me, that my life will continue to get better because everything that the people have carried to me at the beginning has been true up to this point and it continues to be my experience, so how could I not buy into it? Well, say say there's a there's a Luke listening right now who's yeah. 
in the recovery center, like, what fuck this shit? Like, there's no God. Yeah. You know, or even the Luke that was in, in recovery before who yeah. never really fully committed. Yeah. What would you say to that kid? Well, I, I mean, I think I've said a lot of it already. To be honest with you, just based on my own experience, I mean, I can't, you know, one of our founders, he says that the program of recovery is clear cut and direction, but everybody has a different experience. Like there might be a guy out there that can hear something that I'm saying and it might click and that, that'll get him started on his path. For me, I had to learn, I, I, I'm the real deal. I had to learn the hard way. I had to prove it to myself. I had to learn trial by fire, 100%. So to be honest with you, I don't think there's anything I can say to the loop 14 months ago that's gonna register. I think that the loop 14 months ago is gonna have to experience it himself. And, and luckily he did, and you know, obviously I'm using that metaphorically, but that, that's what my literature tells me too. That's my experience. Everything goes back to, you know, people give the, the literature pushers in our fellowship a bad rap and call them thumpers and say, that, you know, they're too militant or they're, uh, they're just regurgitating uh, what they read and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? That's, that's where our program of recovery is outlined. So like, and, it, and my experience lines up with it. Like, why am I... Of course, I'm going to couple my own experience with it. I'm going to make it personal, but I'm always going to go back to that um, because it tells my story. Um, you know, it's, it's written by a guy who's a, a drunk, out-of-work stock speculator uh, back in the 30s when the, when the, when the market crashed. But uh, he, I felt the way that he felt. I used the way that he used and my recovery experience has been the same as, as him up to this point, too. So well, why would I not buy into that? Hmm. Um, that's my take on it. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that always fascinates me is about, like you just described, is I could not say anything or do anything to make something click for somebody. Mm -hmm. the, it seems like the best that we can do as we continue to do recovery is mm -hmm. to express ourselves as honestly as we can. Mm -hmm. If we're actually, like in my experience, if I'm continuing to let myself be seen as if this is one day, mm -hmm. like I'm not a dude who's, you know, knows everything about everything. But if mm -hmm. I sit in a meeting and I'm willing to be vulnerable and I'm willing to express myself in a way that, you know, when you talk about action for me, that's, is there an action that you take regularly that to keep your mind open? Like is, do you have any sort of techniques that you use on a daily basis? Um, well, as far as keeping an open mind and staying aware, I think a lot of that is about being present because, man, I, I heard a great speaker talk a couple weeks ago about uh, meditation specifically. And he said the, the ego-driven mind hates the present moment. I'm constantly taking past experience and I'm projecting it into the future. And I'm under the illusion that if I can somehow predict the future, that I can manipulate the outcome. I think I know what's best for me. And I think that I have the power to, to, to attain that by, by some kind of manipulation game or just uh, asserting my will. Self will run riot. There it goes again. But, uh, but that's not the truth. You know, it's like sometimes uh, another thing he said is that the, the spiritual path is experiential. I can't codify it. Sometimes the best thing I can do is, is just be present and just experience you know, and I'm, I'm going to learn from that experience, whether I, you know, label it good or bad. I don't even know what that is. I don't know what I want half the time. That's something I'm, I'm coming to learn and believe. So I definitely don't know what I need. And even if I did, I wouldn't be able to attain it under my own power. That's part of, you know, me being powerless and my life being unmanageable. It's not because of heroin. That's how I treated it. Uh, it's because of that. We're, we're right back at the spiritual malady. If we can't even control what it is we think we want, mm -hmm. where do you find control in your life? And do, do you? Can you? I find control in placing my dependence upon this power greater than me. And it really is a power of my misunderstanding. I know that when I follow certain simple rules that were brought to me and I was, I was um, willing to do those things because I saw the, the power of those uh, those principles working in other people's lives. 
I know that when I follow those things happen that I've never been able to do on my own. And that's all, that's really all the, the proof that I need. This is going to be kind of a weird question. Okay. Do you feel like your choices happen on their own today? Do my choices, ooh, you're getting real deep with me. Um, do my choices happen on their own? Because um, when I think of control, I think of recognizing that I'm thinking, mm -hmm. observing that thought, and deciding what to do with it. Mm -hmm. Depends on where I'm at, you know, is I have a daily reprieve. My, you know, my spiritual condition has a daily reprieve. You know, it starts first thing I wake up in my, in my conscious moments, you know, is I, I have to do certain things. Meditation's one of those things. How do you, what do Prayer. you, what do you do? Can you share your routine? Because meditation's a word that it's, it's so open and so airy depending it on is. You know, there's Western meditation, there's Eastern meditation. For me personally, I practice Eastern meditation. And, but I was actually taught to meditate by a guy who's, who's not in recovery. He's just a, a practicing Buddhist. He was one of my old personal training clients. And uh, he said something that was so simple, but it was so profound to me at the time. He said, Luke, did you know that the past and the future aren't real places? I've never been to the past or the future. He's like, that's either a memory or just speculation, fantasy. And I was like, wow, that's crazy because I live in those places. <laughs> I'm in those places all the time. It ain't even real, you know? Um, so, yeah, man. I, do, you I, do you do breathing? Do you yes, do you I do breathing. So, the, yeah, that's what I was about to get into is... is he said, um, you know, what I want you to do is, is do a, a four-second in-breath, uh, a five-second uh, hold, and then do a six-second exhale. And um, I had the same response. It's funny. I had the same response when he told me that as one of my sponsees had recently. And I said, well, I feel like if I do that, that's the only thing I'm going to be able to think about. And he was like, well, that's the point. Because your breath is always present, you know. The point is to try to, to stop thinking, to stop fantasizing, to stop thinking about either the past or the future. You're exercising your awareness muscle. Um, and bringing it back to the moment. Bringing it back to the moment. The only thing that's, that actually is real. And I had this preconceived notion that meditation was like, I'm supposed to get these, like, you know. Or sit and quiet or have no thought. You know, everyone yeah. has different ideas of what it is. Right, you know. And, that I'm supposed to have these like huge God and sometimes I do sometimes I do have wild intuitive thoughts when I get like in that meditative France and it's um, it really is like a practice where it's like just starting and trying five minutes two minutes whatever yeah. if you just do it consistently it becomes a habit and you actually sure. get good at it yeah and it opens your mind sure and I'm such a naturally ego driven um competitive person That's even what with myself. I was going to say because when I learned breathing techniques for me it was good because I'm like you're a fighter I played I'm an athlete so it was yeah. like having feeling the pressure in my lungs and breath and knowing mm -hmm. there was a routine and a system to it was actually very positive. For yeah me. well it goes like this you know when I'm talking about naturally being ego driven and competitive I'm thinking of that in relation to I'll be focusing on my breath and then my mind will drift sometimes for a couple minutes even. And then I'll say, shit, I'm not in the present anymore. And I'll kind of beat myself up for that. But one of the things he taught me was like, hey man, instead of beating yourself up when your mind drifts, because it's going to, that's what the human mind does. Every time you bring it back to your breath, think of that as a rep. Once again, we're exercising the awareness muscle. Yeah. You know, and, and this guy met me because he took one of my classes that I was teaching at the time at my gym. Um, because throughout my competitive martial arts career, I, I also, you know, taught, I coached. Um, and that's how we met. But anyway. Can you talk um, a little bit about that? Which part? Uh, how you got into martial arts? What made you want to go into it? So the first time I ever tried to clean up, you know, and I was definitely looking for relief, not recovery and relief as far as kind of taking the heat off, appeasing my family, um, getting past some legal situation. Uh, the one thing that me and my family could agree on um, starting in high school was that I always got in less trouble during the wrestling season. 
I didn't, <laughs> didn't say like during the summer, yeah, you know, when absolutely. I didn't have any kind of structure. So it was the nice logical thought by both my parents and me was I need a healthy outlet. Um, and so, you know, my senior season of wrestling had ended and uh, I had gotten in some trouble. And uh, so I, the whole time I was wrestling in high school, I'd always watched the UFC pay-per-views and noticed, you know, a couple guys at the time were Randy Couture, Chuck Liddell, the Iceman, so, uh, uh, Tito Ortiz, and all these guys, uh, all three of those guys had a wrestling background. Oh, yeah. And so I used to watch them, you know, uh, Tito Ortiz was like the king of ground and pound, and uh, Randy Couture was the Greco-Roman guy had that was, you know, if he got you locked up upper body, you were, you were done. Oh, yeah. And so I remember watching that and thinking, like, I'm a pretty decent wrestler. Like, when I get done wrestling, I'd like to, to get into that. And so that became my outlet. I went and took a jiu-jitsu class. I trained for like a month. I had a natural aptitude because wrestling naturally gets you in dominant positions on the ground. And then once I got there, it was learning a couple basic submissions and I went to my first jiu-jitsu tournament and I won it. Um, and then my, my coach ended up giving me a job at the gym. And a year later, I had my first amateur MMA fight and just kind of took off from there. I had my first amateur MMA fight in 2007. Um, and then I had the opportunity to go pro in 2013. And, um, you know, like through that, um, kind of one fed the other, that led me into coaching. I was actually more successful as a coach than I ever was as a fighter. Like I fought on the pro level, one televised promotion, a lot of local shows. Um, but I actually had a guy that I coached that got signed to the UFC and, um, yeah, man. Like, was, like I said, what was the lifestyle like for you at that time? Because I, I, it was in and out. You know, there was like I said, there was many. I mean, that where I started with that story was kind of the first time um, I was looking for some relief. Um, but there were several periods of, like that where like shit would kind of hit the fan. I get in trouble legally or or physically or both. And so I'd say like, okay, I need to stop, at least for right now, at least till I get my head above water. And all my focus would go into what my higher power was at the time, which was that career. Um, and I'd get things on track. I'd win a couple fights, you know. That particular time I was just talking about, um, when, when my buddy got signed to the UFC, you know, the UFC was flying us out to different places and putting us up, up in nice hotels. And you know what I mean? There's just... Uh, a lot of delusions of grandeur, um, you know, a lot of cool stuff that looked cool on the surface and was fun to post about on social media and everything, but um, internally my life was a train wreck and externally it really became a train wreck once I finally caved into that obsession to change the way that I feel. Hmm. The thing that's so, I mean, I, I know what it takes to, to get your body into peak performance as an athlete. Yeah. Uh, and when I, was, when I was playing football in college, it was like, you know, I was on amphetamines all day, yeah. opiates at night. Yeah. And yet I still could show up for workouts mm -hmm. and practice. Mm -hmm. um, what was your experience like? Well, you know, like I said, um, I had three different periods where I remained dry and I didn't put any mind-altering substances in my body for over a year, you know, not much over a year, but a couple times like 13 months, one time like 18 months. Um, and you were just totally focused on... Yeah, I was just, that was, that's what training, was keeping me going. fighting, coaching. Yeah, that was what was keeping me going. I'd still think about it from time to time, you know, the thought of getting high, but I push it to the back of my mind and I... I I'd stay focused, you know? I mean, I had, I could say without a doubt, like I got willpower for sure, you know? So that's not the problem, you know? This is definitely something that's beyond my mental control and I need to, to harness the power of something greater than me in order to get over it. Another weird question, just where do you think is a practical application for your willpower today? Have, practical, you, have, you, have you discovered anything to utilize your willpower for in a positive way today? Sure. Um, man, this is going to sound too simple to be true, but 
I put most of my willpower into practicing these principles. And then the results business just kind of takes care of itself. And that's hard for me to do. That's hard for me to, you know, uh, another analogy is, you know, if, if God's in the results business, I'm manual labor. I just <laughs> chop wood and carry water. Yeah, like yeah. I, I follow like simple tools every day, like the stuff we were already talking about, like prayer, prayer meditation, meditation, service, service, um, transparency with other guys in my network who are also on this path because they can see things from an outside objective perspective that I can't necessarily see Absolutely. when I'm wrapped up in delusion and fear and all these other things that kind of keep me in bondage. Um, those are when I do those things like God takes care of the results. Like I just do like the basic stuff, like to go back to your original question, where can I exercise my willpower? It says, you know, I, we, I can exercise my willpower on aligning my will with God's will all I want. It's the proper use of the will. So I use my willpower I, in order to carry out what God's will is for me, which is outlined in the process of the 12 steps of recovery. That's what I do is I, I a lot of times, you know, my disease, um, that malady will flare up and tell me to do things that might be instantly gratifying. Not even just getting high, just things that... Like Taco Bell three times a day or... Or sex or uh, popping off on somebody because my ego is affected by something that they said or did that's really inside of me, but I'm convinced it's them. And if I change them, I'll be okay. And you're aware of it when you feel that internal, when you feel that happening? You're... Not always in the moment. It depends on where I'm at. You know, once again, goes back to that daily reprieve. Like, where am I at? Like, what have I been doing that day or the week or the month leading up to that moment that is going to prepare me to be spiritually fit, to be aware enough of what's going on internally and, and what I can do to, to either carry out God's will or to assert my own and experience pain from that. Hmm. We're getting close to time. We only, we only have like a, it's like 15 minutes till the meeting starts. Yeah. Hmm. I just feel like I'm learning from you right now. It's crazy. It's like I'm digesting all this stuff and I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it for myself because I get so rattled up in my head. It's like every day I feel like I'm making, I'm using my will. Yeah. Every day it's like I'm making a choice. Like today I, I was up at five to go to work this morning. Um, I've changed, I, I got on a new, I'm trying to eat healthier. So now I'm like literally using my will to not eat the mm. crap I want to eat will mm. eat healthy vegetables and smoothies and stuff. Sure. And it's like, normally I would take a nap, but I'm going, even though I'm tired, I'm going, no, go to the, I'm willing myself to the gym. Yeah. So like, that's why I'm, I'm trying to make, you know, the group name is it's self will run. Um, okay. the, fir the first mixtapes riot it's self will run because I feel like it feels like it's a, it's, it's a, it's a partnership. Okay. There's things I have to like. There's things you I just have. blew my mind by chat. This whole time I thought it was self will run riot, and then it's no. It's no, the, it's called riot because we were yeah. we were fucking sad, dude. Yeah. <laughs> so what else to do but just like get through it? So yeah. it was like I, I approached the record like I was in the worst pain of my life. So it was like I'm approaching this record. So for me, my big thing is fear. What am I afraid of? And am I willing to move through it? Mm -hmm. And I've been afraid for years to rap, terrified. Mm -hmm. I went through a state of psychosis when I was at uh, University of Richmond. Uh, I haven't been back to school since I was full ride scholarship, but I, the amphetamine brought me into a psychosis and I left campus and I told all the coaches I was doing it because I was going to be a rapper and musician. And that was like seven, eight, I'm 31 now. That was 10 years ago. Wow. And I... It's like I'm, tra I'm like tra I'd been traumatized by that experience. I've always loved music. I've always wanted to, but for some reason, the psychosis. It was like I just for four months. I was I thought CDs and records and shit was talking to me. Mm. Everywhere I would go, I thought truckers were communicating about where I was at. All this shit, and so 
I know what you're I, talking about. I, yeah. yeah. I went through a really bad, uh, yeah, a lot of people. I went through yeah, a I mean, heroin's, heroin's my master, but I've got plenty of experience with, uh, with methamphetamine and, oh, yeah. and cocaine and all that. Adderall, all that stuff. And uh, a year ago, I went through a really bad breakup. It was the, you know, I'm th- I was 30 years old, and it was the first time in my life I had the thought, and this is a thought I never had in my entire life of, I might marry this girl. Yes, exactly. No. I want to. Had that. It was, I could, I could see myself starting a family, and I, no. a kid maybe. No. And, uh, I, and it didn't work out. No. And so I was in the worst pain of my life, and I was like, this can't get any worse. I might as well face my fear of rapping now. Sure. And, and, you know, this last year has just been working through it, and then that was the result. That record was the result. But ever since I started recovery, it has always been one fear to the next fear to the next fear to the next fear. It makes me feel alive. It gives me that rush and that sense of peace and calm that I used to get. Mm-hmm. But I'm afraid of taking it to the extreme, yeah. which is why I wanted to ask ask you like about the will questions, like where is your self will applicable? Because I'm I feels like I'm ha- learning how to do this again. Well, it's all a learning experience. Once again, the, the spiritual path is experiential, and you know it talks about. I'm all I'm going to keep referring back to the literature because I can't not. Um, it talks about developing this vital sixth sense. Is, is how it describes God consciousness or, or awareness. Um, and so for me at this point, um, as long as I continue to stay tap in, tapped in by doing uh, the daily stuff required is um, when I do something that, that opposes God's will for me and, and, and certain th- there's, there's certain spots that it, it outlines very clear what you know, what God's will for me is and what it isn't. I feel like the spring tighten in my chest, you know? You mean when you, when you see what, it, what His will is for you? Well, when I'm doing something that opposes God's will for me, I don't think God necessarily has opinions on, like, pursuits I have in my personal life, you know? It's like, uh, I think God just wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. Um, and I'm just going to kind of learn as I go along what I really want. Like, like I said at the beginning, I, I'm not even sure. Everything's new to me, so I'm kind of learning what I truly want versus what I previously wanted based on what I perceived other people to want for me. You know, as I, I think a so lot of my pursuit... Be, you're beginning to test those waters? Yeah, sure. I'm beginning to... I'm trying to keep an open mind about it all. Like as I go, like what feels right, what doesn't? You know, where do I feel like I'm being driven by the perceived expectations of other people rather than where am I being driven by what I truly believe deep down God's will and purpose is for me? Um, where do I feel like I'm beginning to, to exhale and breathe and become my own person? And where do I feel like I am a slave to uh, the world and the people around me. What people think, yeah. what I think about myself. Sure. All that crap. Sure. Man, this has been great, dude. Um, we're about to go into to a group. Yeah. Is there anything for you that, in terms of a dream or an idea of something that you, you've got this, I mean, we have this second chance at like truly being alive. It's like yeah. we're on this planet orbiting a sun. It's just sure. how, the, how the fuck are we here? Yeah. We're here once. Mm-hmm. Have you begun to let yourself imagine potentially what you would, what type of life you'd like to create? Yeah. Um, on, a, on a personal level, you know, I have a, I have a seven-year-old daughter, beautiful little girl. Um, and I want to continue to be as much part of her life as I'm capable of being, which is right now I have weekend custody. I'm able to, to have her on the weekends, which is awesome. Um, and, uh, I'd like to have like a a full on family. I'd like to find a, a nice girl that, uh, enriches my life and mine hers. Um, and, uh, I guess on a, on a business level is, um, I currently work in recovery, um, and I have other dreams as far as that goes, as far as furthering myself in that career, um, going back to school, getting some 
further certifications that are able to put me in positions to do things that I think I think a lot of people in that profession they get letters behind their name and so like in, in the eyes of of the industry they're qualified to 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 play that role but they haven't really been there they don't they're not really as effective in in carrying what I believe the solution is at its very core which is spiritual so even though my experience was not getting clean in a place that uh, runs insurance and has doctors and therapists and stuff, I kind of am going into it with an idea of what can I bring to that environment. If that's a place where, where, where people like me go um, looking for some kind of solution, what can I bring to it rather than um, having prejudice of, well, that, those places are, you know, they just want your money. They just, they're just in it because it's a revolving door. It's like, what, what can I bring to it? How can I help? How can I be of service? That's ultimately, I think that everything that I do in order to tap into this power is to meet my real purpose of being of service to, to the rest of God's kids. That's what, that's what feels right to me when I'm constantly placing myself to be of service to the rest of God's kids, like I myself, my, my spirit's fed. Um, and I can't, I don't think, adequately convince anybody of that, but that's my truth. That's something that I feel deep down. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for sitting with me, dude. You've got an ally from now till forever. Anything I can do to help you with any of that, I, you know, I have experience in the professional side with Ridgeview. I know how difficult it can be to be the the sickle cell, you know, in the system that's trying to make a change because it's tough. Like you go in with the idea that you want to do like things work on the inside out, mm -hmm. but the, the, uh, industry itself is so ingrained and, and there's so many people and there's so many, it's just, it's, it's over, it can be overwhelming. Mm. Uh, but yeah, man, anything you ever need, dude, I'd be happy to help, man. That's like, I feel like that's just the mission. We just, you know, Bruce Lee talks about to bring it back to Bruce Lee, but like yeah. everything you just described is the point. Mm -hmm. The only difference is the form that it takes. Sure. And like this is why I, I called you today is because I've been trying to figure out how I can be of service to people because I've got, I want to, I want to be able to use all the best gifts that I've been given yeah. in, in, in the most effective way possible. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it feels like this could be something good that could help some people. Sure. And, uh, and I wanted to, I was just super curious about your story and your worldview. And because, I mean, we were in a place where to be sober at the, at the concert we were at. Yeah. But, but we were fucking having a great time. Oh, man. man that people, was a spiritual experience. Absolutely. To be in an environment like that and not even cross my mind for a second. It's not even appealing. But to just be, be present. To be present, to feel the energy, the, the, the vibe, the music, and not uh, have this need to steal vicarious pleasure from, from people who are chemically altered all around us. Which is a huge thing I want to nail in real quick at the end here is fun. It is about having, you can, Absolutely. you will, and it'll be more fun than you'd ever imagine, like what mm -hmm. we're doing. Would you, be, would you be open to leaving your email address if anybody listens and wants to ask you questions or send Absolutely. you an email? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's Neyland, my last name, N-E-Y-L-A-N-D dot T-L at Gmail. Excellent. Yeah, if anybody listening wants to shoot any more questions, send them his way, and, and we'll, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you. Man, I loved it. That was fun. Yeah. What do we got here? Yeah, perfect. Just, just there at the end. Long. My belly's aching now to say